Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? Serving it up to you live on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan, that's Nate Geary, and this is Food for Thought, a show combining two of your three favorite F-words. That's right, food and football. The third one is Frankfurters, which is a type Ooh, of yes. food, but is specifically able to be brought up because of how unique and amazing they are. So first off, before we get anything else, Nate, I got a question. Do you ever have anybody in your life who refers to hot dogs as Frankfurters? Not one. Yeah, not 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 even my grandfather's. No. I figured that somebody somewhere has a grandfather who refers to hot dogs as Frankfurters or Franks, right? Maybe sometimes maybe slang like Frank and beans, how you get like the Frankfurters, the hot dogs cut up inside the beans. I no. very much like. I know. Exa- does Chef Boy RD make that? No. Who who has who has the beans and wieners? That's that's I'm what not, I would call it. Beans and wieners. Beans and wieners. I've always yeah. called Frankenbeans. It's like, like Frankenstein, only you know beans instead of Stein, which makes oh, sense. More more beans, less Stein. Yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, folks, we're here. We are one day back from Buffalo Bills playoff football against the New England Patriots. We have an amazing guest lined up for you tonight yes, on the Genesee Brewing Company guest hotline. But As before we get started, before we get started, hit all the buttons. Let's hit all the engagement buttons. So like, subscribe, rate, review. We're closing in on a new milestone on the Buffalo Rumblings YouTube channel, so make sure you mash that subscribe button. All the verbs that people use who are YouTubers are my favorite. So as mentioned previously, my wife follows a bunch of uh, domestic YouTubers who do grocery hauls and things like that. And the thing that I find funny is that every single person seems to have a different verb for how they would like you to approach the like button or the subscribe button. You know, hump that like, smash that like, obliterate that like, you know, smash that like button. All these things out there. That, you know, they can't just say click. No one, not a single person has said click the like button, which I find to be hilarious because if we did it, I think we'd be the first, Nate. People are trying so hard to be different that they're actually being all the same. And then we're going to loop around and bring it old school by just saying click, click the like button and click the subscribe button. So that's what we should do. You should click those things. That's not where I were going with it. Really? I probably would. I probably would have done something like you know, people's elbow that like button. I was going to go a little bit more violent, like eviscerate mm. the like button. I went you incredibly know, specific. I went. I went more like WWE route, but absolutely um, torture rack that like button. Hmm. Right? Absolutely. Froth, froth it up like a froth little, the like froth, button because the froth food that thing. Like button. That's right. I feel like we should go like mash or like saute that like button or something like that. I think it would fit the whole, you know what? In the comment section, just let me know what verb we should use to describe pressing the like button. But we have some hors d'oeuvres today. And because we are facing a team tomorrow, not we, but the Buffalo Bills. Not personally. I'm not going to do it. I won't even be in the general vicinity 
of the game when it's being played. I will be inside will when it's warm. Oh, you wouldn't even know. I think at some point, what I'm going to do is I'm going to drop by a game. I'm going to walk in. I'm going to take a bunch of pictures with a bunch of fans and everything. Oh, I'm going to go find some content creators who don't know what I look like and be like, hey, oh my gosh, I'm a huge fan. I'm going to go take selfies. But obviously, you'd have to wear the Bane mask. Clearly. Yeah. yeah. Clearly. And then when I'm done, I'm going to post all the pictures on social media. Everyone's going to be like, wait, no, he was there this whole time? That's what I'm going to do. It's going to be great. I am your favorite fan. I am your favorite fan. (laughs) Oh, you think podcasters are your allies. But what we're, <laughs> we're going to do is we're going to talk about patriotic food. We're going to talk in the comments section, and me and Nate, we're going to talk about, oh, uh, mm-hmm. Richard Rush is right, cook that like button. Oh, okay. that, it's got to be cook that That's like not, button. Why, right? why didn't we think of that? Unless somebody's got something better, Cam Greasy's is waterboard that like button. Yeah, that one. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, it's so great. So we're going to talk about patriotic foods. Nate? I wanted you to talk to me about foods that make you feel patriotic. Foods that when you eat them, you go, yes, Mm. we are feeling patriotic today. And in the comments section, let me know what foods that you eat that make you feel patriotic. Because I think this is kind of on brand. So, Nate, what makes you feel patriotic? One second here. Okay. I just had to make sure uh, because watermelon... Every once in a while kind of makes me feel American because it's like mm-hmm. 4th of July outside, watermelon slices. But I just had, while I was doing this, I, I just Google searched whether where watermelon's native country is to see if it was, I, I can't imagine there's a lot of things native to the to, to America, right? Because most of it, it comes from Europe. But, um, you know, there were people here before the 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 whitey came so mm. there's probably some things native but it is native of africa uh so i guess i can't really go with that as like my truly american food so i will go with potato salad which i know for sure was made here in america because it is like the glutton of fat people so and mm. i i'm one of those fat people so okay guilty is charged guilty is charged no i think that's good i think it's really good by the uh, way can i just point out that the I am not, as you, as many of you know, I'm not a big um, mayonnaise fan. In fact, I don't really like it at all. There are certain things that I'm okay with it being. I know that blue cheese is mayo. and I, the, there, there are certain things that I know about mayo. There are these inconvenient truths. Uh, but mayonnaise is one of the worst things that ever has ever been created on this earth. And um, for me, that makes, you know, liking, enjoying potato salad, not really an easy task. But... Um, you know, like for me, I like to go with the heavier mustard ones, uh, the yellow mustard potato salad, because the mustard really overpowers any remnants or idea that I am having mayonnaise. And when my girlfriend makes potato salad, she really kind of uh, substitutes most of the mayo. She does put a little bit, but she substitutes most of it with, um, with sour cream to still give it that creaminess effect in that, that, but a little bit more bite too with the sour cream. Um, but for me, I love potato salad. I, the uh, Wegmans has this one, Bruce. That's a baked potato salad. It's got uh, bacon in it. It's got Ooh. cheese in it. Uh, that is really, really good. But for me, the top top tier one is mustard potato salad, yellow mustard potato salad. Um, it gives that little extra yellow color, and you get that real awesome bite of uh, – I'm a big mustard fan. I don't know about you, but – I don't love yellow mustard, just plain yellow mustard. I do like brown mustard, spicy mustard, mm. honey mustard. I like good Dijon's. Uh, sure. I like – things that are a little deeper, but just straight yellow mustard is too much vinegar for me. I can deal with it, but I don't ever voluntarily choose it per se. I could, I yes. could, I could, uh, put it right on my tongue. No problem. You could like just, I, just, just, just drain it. Do you, do you want me to grab some? I mean, you can, if you want to, is that where, is that where we're out of this show? We're just eating the, go ahead, go and do it. I'm, I'm going to get to the comment section right. while you're doing I'm gonna it. Do it. So Vito says, plain hot dog, no toppings. That's right. Vito eating hot dog like an American. Richard Rush says, apple pie. As American as apple pie. It is literally right there. It is literally right there in the name. So Richard Rush is good. And Cam Greasy says, agrees with me. Loves some Dijon and potato salad. Absolutely. I think some honey mustard and potato salad is fantastic. Richard Rush says, potato salad is German in nature. You know what? I don't think I've ever looked up the origin of potato salad. But, but that very well may be the truth. Ryan says a diner hamburger. 
Nothing is more patriotic, ladies and gentlemen. I totally agree. Oh, we I are totally still, agree. We're still good here. Nate has literally brought with him now some yellow mustard. That I he love is, mustard. He's just literally just gonna squeeze a little on his finger and just eat it right now, right out of the right out of the can, right? Their squeeze bottle. There it is. Yellow line of mustard, just gonna lick it right off. Yes. This is what we have, this is what we've come to as a show. We are we're literally shock jocks at this point. Nate's literally just eating mustard just straight across. I can't do it. I can't do it. Okay, so here's mm. mine. Mine is a cheesesteak. Cheesesteaks are things that make me feel peri- you know, obviously patriotic. So obviously they originate and they're famous for Philadelphia, which is one of the founding birthplaces of this country. And for me, when you're thinking of a food that is American, that does not also have other connotations, it's really difficult because like you said, a lot of stuff is European. A lot of stuff is Mexican. A lot of stuff is Italian, things like that. Like you really got to go to like, like a Chicago style pizza, right? Is a Chicago spin on a type of food that didn't originate here. So for me, it is absolutely 100% a Philly cheesesteak. You don't go to Europe mm. and say, I want a Philly cheesesteak, yeah. right? You could get a Donaire in Germany or Turkey, right? Which are a huge fan, by the way. I'm a big Turkish food guy. I don't know if you know this about Interesting. me. I don't love, love Turkish food. So what's, what's uniquely Turkish? Okay. So uh, when I, I spent some time in Berlin and I got absolutely hooked, absolutely hooked on donaire kebabs right which Ooh. is meat obviously kick you know cooked on a vertical uh-huh. spinner right and they make sandwiches out of it typically it's lamb and you sl- you slice off these little thin shavings and sure it, it, it has a lot to do there's a there's a lot of uh common with like greek food and usually it's okay. a mixture of lamb chicken pork beef kind of stuff uh-huh. usually not really at tzatziki sauce, but um, love tzatziki. A, yeah, a little bit of a little bit of that. A little white sauce. sauce. Yeah, a little white sauce, some fresh, you know, vegetables. And I, uh-huh. I'll love it with you. I could have had it every day. It was yeah. unbelievable. And so there's there's obviously you know in Germany and Berlin specifically there's a specifically heavy contingent. There's like a Turkish neighborhood essentially. And I spent a lot of time there and had a lot of food and really 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 enjoyed it. So for me, big. Big, big Turkish food guy. You know what I mean? So yeah. I am. I'm into it. I'm, 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 I'm totally down. I'm absolutely totally down. Joe Marino says, uh, do you like Lokum, Bruce? Uh, Lokum is, um, it's like a, a Turkish delight. You remember, uh, do you remember the uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Did anybody see the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe or read the book? And in that book and in that movie, no, one of the children is being kind of um, tempted by the White Witch with promises of Turkish delight. Um, which is almost like a jellish sort of is, sugary. Is, is baklava Turkish? Nah, I don't think so. Actually, give me a second. I'll look it up. Baklava. I think it is. I think baklava is Greek. I'm pretty sure baklava is Greek. Yeah, it's Ottoman. It's Ottoman. Ottoman yeah, so okay. it's it, it's Greek now, right? So, um, yeah. It, they say it's it's uh, wiki wiki says Iranian Turkish and Arab cuisines as well, but uh, uh, you the, know. and 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 what's the special flour that they use to make baklava that that, that gets the real thin phyllo dough right phyllo dough that's yeah phyllo dough that's correct yes all right so anyway, test, we, testing your food network knowledge I'm, we got I'm way off we got super way off Us? absolutely way off no Us? no we no. would never you mean you mean it, it, it wasn't in the plan for me to put yellow mustard down my throat you know the hilarious thing about this is that the other show that i do every week is the bruce exclusive and it's unbelievably structured right it's unbelievably (laughs) structured it's unbelievably you know put together it's efficient it has all the timing is down everything's like and then i just come here on a friday night kick my shoes off and just go ah what the heck let's just go right just throw the white flag or it's just completely the opposite side of bruce so moving along we saw a game just recently Mm-hmm. If Bill's Jets was a food, sure. what kind of food would it be? I'll go first for this one. Okay, you go first. So I enlisted the help of the beautiful, lovely, talented Mrs. Nolan for this one. I called her in because I had forgotten to answer this question before the podcast started. 
So I called her in and we brainstormed. Lazy. Yes, that, that that's the book on me, Nate, is that I'm lazy. I've known that forever. Yes, I, I basically never do anything I, I, I intend to do. I never do anything I promise, for sure. But I brought my wife in and I said, sweetheart, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for an appetizer that you would never eat as a meal. And we bounced some ideas off each other. And we eventually decided, and by we, I mean she suggested and I agreed, that the answer to if the Bills Jets was a food was fried pickles. Everybody <laughs> likes fried pickles, right? You don't walk away from fried pickles going, man, that sucked. But very few people you ever know are going to be satisfied by fried pickles. You're not going to eat them and go, you know what? I'm good. I don't really need to have anything further in my life aside from this basket of fried pickles. Uh -huh. You're going to go, okay, that was good. Got a little bit of that vinegar. Got a little bit of that dill. dill. I really need something else now. I need something hearty. I need some pasta. I need a burger. I need a chicken sandwich. I need some wings. I need something. I love fried pickles. Fried pickles are great. However, however, it's not enough. It's and not that's a the meal. way I felt. That's the way I felt about Bill's Jets. Yes, okay, I'm glad they won. But nobody walked out of that game feeling satisfied because you knew what you had in front of you. You already knew the Bills had made the playoffs. When you walked away from that, you assumed, based on your, your theory going into the game, you're like, well, but then when we're done this game, I'm pretty sure they're going to win the AFC East. So it wasn't like you didn't enjoy the game. It's not like you didn't enjoy beating a team by 17 points, especially a division rival. It's not like you didn't enjoy Zach Wilson throwing for five yards. You still enjoyed it. It just wasn't enough to quench your thirst. It wasn't mm -hmm. enough to make sure that you're good to go. You need the next course. And that's what Bill's Patriots is. It's the next course. Nate, if Bill's Jets was a game for you, was a food, what would it be? Prosciutto. And let me tell you why prosciutto. Because prosciutto is really more about the process than it is anything else, right? It starts off as a thing that you can't really eat. I mean, it's raw. Uh, and you dry cure it, right? And it takes time. And in that Bills game, it took several quarters for the Bills to really get on track to mature, to dry age into the final product that, that ended up being a 27 to 10 game. You're thinking at the end of that game, the scoreboard, okay, yeah, 27 to 10, that team, you know, really pressed the Buccaneers the week before. The Jets had been trending upwards. The Jets had been playing better. And I thought that this defense probably put together their best performance of the season. The Buccaneers, again, gave up 24 points to that New York Jets team, and they were basically a miracle away. Like, that that, that Keelan Cole touchdown was one more inch, and it's a pick six for, for Jordan Poyer. Instead, it's a, it's a fourth down touchdown play. Otherwise, I think that's 55 more yards the rest of the game. I mean, the Bills absolutely dominated them. And, and, and for me, prosciutto in its final form, when you can, you know, carve it, put it with cheeses or one of my favorite things is it's sort of just in this great form where at the end, end of the season, right? The end of the dry aging process, you can a eat it there. Or for me moving into the playoffs, you could cut it into little pieces, throw it into a frying pan and throw it on top of salads or simply toss it down and throw it on a breakfast sandwich. I personally prefer prosciutto cooked uh, afterwards. Cause I just think the saltiness comes out of it. Um, but prosciutto for me it's because it's more about the process it was a process in that game didn't start great but just like prosciutto once it aged once it came across uh you got all that that great that that nutty um acorny um profile and frankly I, I don't know if you knew this uh bruce but in america we actually get a lot of fake prosciutto we don't really get the real stuff here a true prosciutto italian style prosciutto so it's prosciutto Oh, yes. 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 I'm here all week, ladies and gentlemen. That was good. I really like the prosciutto metaphor. Thank that you. was thank you. Metaphors are a strong part of this show. Just so there. you know this what else? The show is a bit of a show? metaphor. The show yes, is a metaphor. The show is kind of a metaphor. I'm not gonna yeah. lie. It really is. All right. So we're gonna hit this real fast, and then we've got a guest that we gotta get to. But schematically, Nate, mm. what do you have your eye on against the Patriots? Because I'll tell you what I've got my eye on, and I've got my eye on the edges of the Bills' defense because that's where the Patriots found a lot of their success running the ball was the edges. They said, okay, we're going to see if your safeties, your linebackers, your corners can come up consistently, fill in extra gaps on the edges, 
and tackle and tackle and tackle and tackle and tackle over and over and over again. They're going to come downhill. They're going to get on the edges. They're going to put their foot in the ground and they're going to say, we don't think you want to tackle us 35 times in zero degree weather. I don't think you want to do it. I don't think you're up to it. That's what I got. Plus now knowing what we know about wind being out, I'm looking at how the Patriots are going to make their offensive line move. Is Michael Owenu going to be the right tackle at this point? Are they flip Trent Brown? What's the situation going to look like there? If they're going to go heavy amounts of six offensive linemen, they might not do that. They might just leave Owenu as the sixth offensive lineman. So that's what I'm interested in. I want to see the edges of the Bills defense against the Patriots running game. What about you? Um, similarly, listen, I think Eli Anku, I, th- I saw him get pulled down from the practice squad this week. I-, I think he could probably find himself in the lineup. I think the Bills are going to plan on going big in this matchup. I think that they're, I think the one X factor, maybe, maybe I'll go X factor for this rather than scheme, Bruce, is I think in the first two matchups, um, particularly the second one, I-, I thought that Harrison Phillips really played a much better game than he did the first time around. And I think Ed Oliver since that first matchup has really hit his stride in this Bills defense. And more so, I think he's learned, and I talked to Connor Rogers about this last week when I had him on Sports Talk Saturday before the Jets game. Connor made this great point about Ed Oliver and kind of moving into his stride and into into his potential kind of peak of his career here. And, And what he mentioned was maybe less about the things that Oliver can do, but more so about understanding what Ed Oliver can't do on the field. And I think early on this season, Teams are really, really taking advantage of how aggressive, how quickly Ed Oliver's first jump is off the football. They're hitting on those backside traps and and moving Oliver off of the ball, creating a really big alleyway. And that's hard for really good linebackers um, to, to necessarily cover for. So I think for this week, what I'm looking for is a better, more disciplined Ed Oliver that hopefully can stymie some things in the middle of this defense. But we know that this is going to be a Patriots team that runs a lot of a lot of zone off tackle on this team, and they're going to force the Bills to maintain gap integrity in that backside cutback that I think particularly Ramondre Stevenson, because of his foot speed, is really good at it can hurt the Bills. We know that if they do not maintain that backside integrity, especially at the linebacker position, this is a team that all it takes for them is to break one. Um, so I, I think for me, the big thing the Bills are going to have to, I, the Bills are going to ne- not necessarily have to stop the run, but they're going to have to get off the field on third down. I thought in the second matchup, the Bills got lucky because the Patriots could not convert a third down in that game. If you remember going back to that second matchup, they just could not get off the field or they, they could not convert a third down, but they were like four for five on fourth down in that game. So the Bills do not want to put themselves in positions where they're getting to fourth down, but it's fourth and one and Bill Belichick and that offense are going to continue to go for it, especially in a game like, uh, like we're going to have on Saturday. Yeah. Ed Oliver doesn't make the job easy on the linebackers behind him. If you ever watch okay. him and he's constantly squirmy, squirmy is the word I like to use with Ed Oliver. He's constantly squirmy. Right. He's in the A gap and then he'll spin and now he's in the B gap. And, you know, Tremaine Evans is sitting there behind him, just throwing his hands up in the air, going, What are you doing? Okay. Like, listen, I understand that it works sometimes, but you're not making this easy on me. Right. I always use the metaphor. It's like when you're walking past your spouse in a hallway and she goes left and then you go left. And so you're kind of facing each other and you're doing this weird thing. And then she says, Get the hell out of my way. And you say, Yeah, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Do we need to talk about your problems at home, Nate? Because I don't think that's really normal. You know what? Uh, let, let, let's bring my lawyer on. Oh, that was good. That was really what, – what a transition. <laughs> what a transition. Ladies and gentlemen, on that note, what a transition. Oh, thank you. We thank have you. special guest Mark Schofield from NFL Wire and Pat's Pulpit here with us making his second first appearance. First ever. First ever. This is the first ever dual second-time guest in the history of Food for Thought, the first person ever to be on this show twice is Mark Schofield. And quite frankly, let's be honest, you should be honored, Mark. I mean, that you're on here yep. the second time, yep. a show that is so incredibly well thought of that we spent the first 20 minutes mm-hmm. talking about fried pickles and, you know, <laughs> cheesesteaks. Yes. Let's go, baby. Oh, my gosh, he's got go. mustard. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Please brought with him too. the mustard and props. barbecue sauce literally to be able to talk. Mark, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Bruce. Great to be here. Nate, please pay your retainer. I mean, come on. Yes. Now. Listen, I'm no, I'm no Antonio Brown. Okay. I'll, I'll make sure I get that paid off. Just get that paid off. You and Michael kissed, man. You guys going to pay your retainer. I mean, come yeah, on. I'm sure he's more, I'm sure you're way more expensive for him. 
<laughs> yeah, well, he took out a third mortgage on my house for him. So yeah, right. that Something makes like sense. That makes, sense. that makes sense. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time and joining you. Oh, One of the yes, first sir. things that we wanted to talk about specifically was the Patriots run game and specifically the, the idea that win is not going to be in and that's not intended to rhyme, but that news broke just a couple hours ago. Fundamentally, based on what you've seen from the Patriots, how does that shift the tackle position for them? I mean, it's a fascinating thing to think about because they've got, like you said, Bruce, it's just a couple minutes ago. They've got a couple of ways they can do this. They can take Trent Brown, who's played left tackle for them before, flip him to the left side, put Michael Wendu in at right tackle, and go forward that way. They could do what they did during the game against the Dolphins last week when win went down, just take Justin Heron, put him in at the left tackle spot, and then take Michael Wendu, use him as that swing tackle in their jumbo six offensive lineman packages. I'd imagine, given the fact that this wasn't a sudden injury, that they've had some time, my hunch, my guess would be Brown's going to flip to the left side and you're going to see a window in a right tackle and Heron's going to be that sort of sixth offensive lineman when they go with that sixth offensive lineman package. Now, the counter to that is, well, you're really moving two people, right? You know, you're moving Brown, right. albeit to left tackle, but he's been there before, but you're still moving him on a short week situation. And then you're slotted in a window into the right tackle spot. Do you really do that? Well, look at a Justin Heron and how he played at times this year and at times on Sunday. I think that's still the better option. Um, now, does it change what they do conceptually? Probably not. Um, I, I think, look, you're, you're still going to see a very diverse run game, regardless of the combination of five or six sometimes they put out there. They're going to do their you know crack toss stuff. They're going to do their zone stuff. They're going to do their crack, wham, crunch, and all that stuff. It's going to be very similar, regardless of the five that are there or the six that are there. I'm just very curious to see if they take advantage of the time they had to get Brown to the left side, get a Wenu into the right tackle, try to put their best five out rather than just sort of slide Heron in. Uh, Christian Barmore, do we know? I, 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 he hasn't been rolled out yet, so he's questionable still to play. If they if they don't have him at 100%, Mark, would you say that the first two matchups were really dictated at the line of scrimmage in both games? I thought the winner at the line of scrimmage in the first game won the game. I thought the winner at the line of scrimmage in the second game won the game. And I was pretty surprised to see the Bills' offensive line come together the way they did with their starting left guard, Ike Butker, going down with the season-ending Achilles injury. In that game, you have Deion Dawkins, who did not prep all week, who was on the COVID list, step in. And I thought he dominated Matthew Judon at times during that game. Um, I would you say that in this third matchup, it'll probably go to the team that wins the line of scrimmage? I, I think so, Nate. I mean, you know, you're exactly right. The first matchup, New England won the ball, won up front. You know, they, they won on the offensive side of the ball. They moved the, ball, the, the Buffalo defensive line back. They were establishing the line of scrimmage. They were moving the line of scrimmage. And then it was the same thing on the, on the defensive side of the ball. They were getting pressure with four. They were moving the line of scrimmage to their advantage. Now, Josh Allen still made some plays with his legs, but they certainly won that battle up front. That really flipped, that script really flipped in the second game. I mean, Buffalo was very aggressive, both on the second level of their defense. They were great up front. You mentioned Harrison Phillips. Rewatching that game this week, I was very impressed with how he played up front. Yeah. A lot of interior push and penetration early in the game, sort of reset the line of scrimmage behind the line. There were a lot of run plays where, whether it was Harris, whether it was, you know, Ramondre Stevenson, they had to make cuts behind the line of scrimmage as a result. And so, you know, whoever wins the trenches usually wins football games. Uh, Chris Vass, Coach Vass, uh, we were doing a show together recently. He said, look, you don't need to be sm that smart to see who wins a football game. Just see who win moves the line of scrimmage. Buffalo moved the line of scrimmage. And if they don't have Barmore, they, they called up a practice squad defensive lineman as a sort of stopgap emergency situation player where Barmore is going to travel with the team. He seems to have dodged a serious injury because he got carted off. There are expectations at the moment that, look, his season is over. He's going to travel, but will he be able to go? If he can't, that's a huge problem for New England because now you're talking about, okay, they might be replacing or moving around two offensive linemen when they have the football, and now they're down one of their best interior penetrators on the defensive side of the ball. That's tough to win the line of scrimmage battle if you're down those kinds of players. You know, Mark, I, I continue to think – that on top of the line of scrimmage and, and some of the other things that might be at play in this game, I, I try to think about how the Belichick factor, I think, will always probably be overblown, but probably 
still at some point under talked about. Um, where do you stand on a game like this? How much Belichick, how much he can really influence a game like this? Considering that this is really the first time we're seeing him in this type of situation in this game without Tom Brady. Yeah, you wonder about, you know, can he sort of pull a rabbit out? Will he have something, whether schematically, conceptually, from a, a player hunch sort of standpoint that can carry the day? And I'm not so sure he's got that club in the bag right now. I mean, it's certainly like you sort of teed up there. It's very easy when you can just say, look, Tom, go win us a game. You know, we don't have it today on the defensive side of the ball. Throw us to a victory somehow. It's going to be different right now when you're going to have to play a perfect game on both sides of the football to win, I think. And you're going to be down some people on the offensive line. You're going to be down some people on the defensive line. You're very thin in the secondary right now. They called up two players from the practice squad. Doesn't look like Jalen Mills is going to go. They were already thin there to begin with. We saw what happened a couple of weeks ago. Miles Bryant, just Isaiah McKenzie, just running away from him on crossing routes. Do they do something different conceptually? Do they, you know, do some, you know, double robbers, double rat type stuff to try to take away those crossers? Well, if you're doing that, then you got to worry about what 17 does with his legs. And Matthew Judon talked about it this week. It seems to be there's also an emphasis on not letting Allen beat them on a third and seven with a scramble. And so how do you stop all of that? How do you stop all that? I was on with Kevin Massari earlier today, and he was talking about, you know, Beasley and McKenzie getting Gabriel Davis back. And I'm sitting there like, how do you cover all these guys when you're so yeah. thin in the secondary? That's a lot for a coach to sort of paper over and overcome. Can he do some things schematically that might help? Yeah, but that's a lot to overcome. So I don't know if Belichick's got enough trump cards he can play. That's what I want to ask you about. I want to ask you specifically about the defensive approach to Josh Allen because we've seen the kind of evolution of the way that teams have played Josh Allen recently. In the early part of Josh Allen's career, it was – you know, cover one, cover zero, bring pressure, make him have answers quickly. The Bills went out the second year and invested in a couple of wide receivers they thought could beat man coverage with John Brown and Cole Beasley. And by the end of year two, it was a little, the narrative was a little different. Now, here we are year three, they came into the year and they said, hey, you know, same old, same old story. Let's play single high. And the Josh Allen came and lit, lit the world up with those crossing routes against yeah. cover one and things like that. And then here we come into this year and they're like, okay, we need to play Josh Allen a little bit more like we play Patrick Mahomes, right? We're going to play too high. We're going to make him be patient. And what you saw in the first Patriots game was you saw a very, very patient Josh Allen. You saw a good balance between improvisational skills that we know that he has, but also keeping the office on schedule, offense on schedule, checking it down to Devin Singletary. So knowing that Matthew Giudon came out and said, we absolutely have to contain him, we have to contain him, we have to contain him. Do you anticipate... It's running that back again. It's okay. We're not going to bring pressure. We're going to make, we're going to bring four. If we're going to trust the coverage on the back end to hold up, we're going to trust that he's not going to be patient. He's going to make throws into coverage. We don't know what to make. Or do you think it's, you know what? That didn't work last time. Let's bring a little bit more heat. I mean, I would imagine it's more of the same. It's more of the former. You might even see even more zone coverage this time because of that threat of his legs, because you want to keep eyes on him. You know, you're going to drop – you might see some drop eight in this game. They've done that at times with Patrick Mahomes where they're just going to rush three and say, look, we'll let them have all day to figure something out. There won't be anywhere to go with the football. And then hopefully we can rally and tackle if he decides to pull the football down. You know, you have those drop eight looks. You want to throw crossing routes into that. That's very tough to do. Now, Allen can certainly do it. He's got the arm talent to make those throws, but it's, it's tougher on him. I, I still don't like the idea – given what we saw a couple of weeks ago, given what Allen can do with his legs of playing a ton of man coverage against him. I just, I think you're asking for trouble. You're asking to give up some big plays with these receivers boosts. Like you said, that could separate against man coverage, particularly when you're thin in the secondary. Now you're playing man coverage. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. And if somehow you get everybody covered up, he can pull it down at least with zone with some drop eight stuff. You know, you drop seven into coverage and just rush four. you're gate. You're keeping eyes on him for the most part. You know, with pattern matching and things like that, you might have some man turns and things of that nature. But you've got somebody with an eye on him. You've got to force him to make some throws into tougher windows. Of course, the flip side to that is this year he's got an adjusted net yards per attempt of 6.1 against man, 6.4 against zone. Like he's been good against both. And so mm -hmm. he's, he, I've said this all week long. Josh Allen forces you to make some hard decisions as a defensive coordinator. And the Patriots have a lot of hard decisions they're facing tomorrow night. You know, though, and and I just wonder from uh, 
if you're Brian Dable in this game and you know that you're probably going to see more zone coverage, you know, A, I wonder how much more you think about the struggles that this Patriots defense has had stopping the run over the last several weeks. This is not the same run defense right. we saw really for the better part of the first three quarters of the season. This is not, this is a newer development, but I think I said, I saw something they were top five through week 14 or something. And then over the last or week three, 13 in the last five weeks, they're like 26th. Uh, against the run and the Bills are top five running the football in that yeah. exact same span. The Bills are finding their their sort of way a little bit with Devin Singletary being the lead horse. And and I wonder, A, is it as simple as if the Bills can try to create the, and, and have some success on the on, on the ground with the run game, that maybe that forces the Patriots out of that too deep shell and, and playing lots of zone coverage. And if it's not that, how would you maybe – what would you grade Josh Allen's ability – to extend plays out of the pockets as one of the biggest worries for a defensive coordinator that's going to run zone coverage because you can't stay in those zones forever when Josh breaks contain and it's five, seven, eight seconds with him holding the football. We saw it against the Jets, had that amazing touchdown pass where he's got a you know linebacker draped over him. We know that he can extend plays with players nearby or on top of him. Like, what would you rank the level of concern for a defensive coordinator in that instance? Is it is it their ability to establish the run against you? Because maybe that opens more things for Josh. Or or is it really Josh off schedule? I mean, you know, they're both terrified. I know. I mean, they're they're honestly both terrified. I'm, I mean, I, I think to me, Allen and what he can do is, is with his legs is more terrifying than, than the Bills sort of establishing the run and, and forcing us to get out of the too high looks. Because – you know, they could still stop the run with light boxes. They've got talented players up front, particularly if Barmore can go. But there's nothing sort of more deflated when you've got things covered up on a third and seven and he pulls it down and scrambles for eight. And yeah. instead of the punt team coming on, the defense is still on the field. You know, there are things that he's done in scramble drill moments where, you know, again, everything looks covered up for the first four, five, six, sevens of the down, seconds of the down. And then he makes a throw in the eighth second of the down, and it's a touchdown. And it's, again, yeah. what do you do against that? I mean, that's the kind of back-breaking moment that that can change the course of a game. If they're ripping off some three-yard runs, some four-yard runs, and kind of, quote, establishing the run, I think New England will sort of take that. But if you're going to give up a big play and a scramble drill type of moment or a third and seven becomes first and ten with a 21-yard Josh Allen scramble, that's the kind of stuff you don't want to give up. Mark, one thing I want to talk to you a little bit about is Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley if the Patriots roll out a lot of zone. So mm. one of the things that the Bills have tried to do is they have tried to build a wide receiver core that can succeed regardless of what they're seeing. And early on, they decided they needed to be beat man, and they brought in Cole Beasley and John Brown. And then, of course, you bring in a player like Stephon Diggs. If you are a team who says, you know what, we got carved up on crossers, by Josh Allen and Isaiah McKenzie last time. We learned our lesson. We're going to roll out a lot of zone. If you're a defense and you know that Cole Beasley has that innate feel and you know that Josh Allen loves to be able to gun the ball into incredibly small windows, regardless if you're dropping eight or seven into zone to Cole Beasley, are you going to focus more on Beasley in the center of the field on zone or are you going to focus on trying to shift and move that stuff over to the boundary to make sure that you're funneling everything inside you get tips you get windows closing faster because you know you have stuff on digs on the outside is this a scenario where you're gonna uh, I know cover six was a big topic on Twitter this week, so I I, I almost I almost wanted to roll co a cover six into this question when I did it. But is this a scenario where you're gonna try to you're gonna try and bracket the boundary? Or are you gonna bracket the inside? I mean, I I think what you might see is some Meg stuff, man. Everywhere he goes with with Jackson on digs, and they'll they'll do zone stuff to the middle of the field, which where it's sort of that quarters look or cover six like you said bruce was a very hot topic this week on twitter which actually josh cohen actually pulled up a hundred clips of, of cover six from the past couple of weeks legendary uh, just absolutely just legendary, legendary move. absolutely legendary <laughs> but you you might see where you've got that quarters look where you've got that one corner you sort of leave on an island and just trust that jc jackson can do what he can with stefan diggs 
and then use your poach coverage, coverage looks, your stubby, your stump, and all that sort of in the middle of the field to give you numbers on those crossing routes. That, of course, that's a big roll of the dice, right? Because a, you're trusting that J.C. Jackson will go step with step with Stephon Diggs on every route combination. That might happen. It might happen every play but one, and it's that one that changes the game. And then you're also rolling the dice that Allen is going to make a mistake with throwing into those windows when, like you sort of tee up, he can still make those throws. I mean, again, this gets to the problems that Josh Allen poses for an opposing defensive coordinator. Like, you have to play a perfect game sometimes to beat him or close to a perfect game to beat him. Patriots can do it, but it's asking a lot. I think it is asking a lot. I I, I like the Bills in this matchup for a lot of reasons. I, I think maybe the overwhelming one, though, for me, Mark, is, is just the quarterback in these sorts of games because yeah. you really can't hide a quarterback in a one-game, you know, yeah. in, in a one-game playoff scenario where, where winner – Winner moves on, loser goes home. And 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 I wonder how you think, because listen, over the last five weeks, Mac Jones really short of Jacksonville, which by the way, I mean, he just looked as good as he looked all season in Jacksonville. But in between, he he's played some some tough games. And I think it's less about making Mac Jones beat you, but making Mac Jones beat you at certain parts of the field. And yeah. it's not necessarily to the length that I would say you would try to beat Tua, because Tua, I Mac Jones is not a one-read quarterback, quite the contrary. Where two is the one-read quarterback, so how, the, the sort of throws you want to force him out of making are those dink and dunk rolls out, roll out to its left because you know that's where his completion percentage is at his highest. With Mac Jones, it's really trying to, to force him to beat you in that deep cover two hole, at least in my yeah. opinion, those, those, those hole shots at yeah. the sidelines of cover two, and obviously over the middle of the field because he doesn't have that velocity. So in a game like this, how do you – win a game if you're Josh McDaniels where you're likely going to at least have to try to hide your quarterback. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. The, the way to, you know, what you want Mac to force Mac Jones to do is to beat you making the scholarship throws, right? Yeah. The deep corner route, the deep out route, splitting the safeties when you're in two deep looks. Uh, it, it's that's what you've got to do. If, if Josh, if Mac Jones throws for 350 yards and three touchdowns uh, hitting those throws, then I think Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott, they tip their hats, say, look, look, he got he did a good job. See but you next if, season if that happens, brother. Right. But if he does it throwing five yard shallows and crossers, like that's a you problem. Like that's what you gotta stop. And so I think what Josh McDaniels is gonna have to do, he's gonna have to layer some stuff. He's gonna have to flood some stuff where you you at least show the threat of that, you know whether it's a sale concept with a seven route or a nine route where you've got that threat there. And then you try to get Hunter Henry into that intermediate on that out route or a Jacoby Myers into the intermediate there and at least stress the outside. So you can create space for that intermediate read. I think you're going to see a lot of layered route concepts, new England, you know, for all the good that they've done from developing Mac Jones this year, there's sort of a stagnation to their route concepts. I've been talking about this with, people who cover the team, Evan Lazar and others, it's like they've got like a, a staple number of like six core concepts that they like to call. I think they need to tweak that a little bit. They need to layer some stuff. They need to flood some stuff because, you know, trying to just run the stuff that they've run, it's not really stressing defenses the way that you need to stress defenses to expand some of these windows for Mac. Now they've done it at times, but they need to do more of it tomorrow night. You know, Mark, the last thing, and then while Bruce sends you off here. Um, the last thing I kind of have is sort of in that same vein, thinking about Brian Dable and yeah. thinking about the bills and thinking about the advantage the bills have just in terms of time on task and continuity in this offense that Dable and Allen, they just have so much time together where McDaniels and Mac Jones don't, that's a huge advantage in this game. And you're talking about those layers, right? Those layers come with having three years, four years in a system. And I'm yeah. wondering how different you expect the Bills to look in the playoffs? Because a lot of people here all season talked about almost the vanillification of this offense at times this year, almost because this team felt like last year going into the playoffs that they didn't have the playoff gear. And it almost felt like this year they took that experience of losing in the AFC Championship game and saying, we need to come up with a second pitch, and that pitch has to be in January. Right. And it's critical, Nate. It's absolutely essential to the quarterback development piece, number one. 
And to being able, and I said this going into the year, the thing that I wanted to see from Dable and Allen was, and I know I talked about it with you a couple of times, being able to adjust quicker, right? Because remember right. last year, and Bruce talked about this, right? It was the cover one stuff, the man stuff early. They were hitting on crossers. So teams started to play more zone against them, and it took them like three or four weeks to sort of figure it out, but then they did. Now you're seeing like they've got the experience where, okay, teams are going to do X against us. Now we know we've got Y. Teams are going to do Z against us. We've got A and B that we know have worked in the past. They've gotten to the point because of their familiarity with each other, because of their understandings of their strengths, of their offense, and their you know what they've got in the huddle, what they can go to depending on what look they're getting. So there isn't this like two-week lag time of, oh, well, we're getting more zone coverage now. We've got to layer some throws. We've got to run dagger. We've got to run double dig or double post or these zone beaters to give Allen some better looks against these coverage. It's just, oh, we're seeing this. They did this last drive. All right, this is this is what we go to now. We've, we've got this in the game plan. We've got the game playbook memorized based on the years we've got together. Oh, we're seeing this look. Yeah, this is now when we come to Debbie. This is now when we come to Dino. Like, they've got it figured out. It's a huge advantage, whereas on the other sideline, look, McDaniels, there's only so much stuff that they've got in play where it's like, okay, well, we're seeing man coverage now that they're really jamming things or we're seeing two trap or five cougar or whatever it is. What do you do? You know, what do we do? We've got these three concepts we like to call. Hopefully one of them works. Maybe it won't. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to Mark Schofield. At Mark Schofield on Twitter, I will tell you right now, before he has an even opportunity to plug himself, that the three throws that Mark does every week on Twitter is some of the best content football-wise you are going to get on Twitter. So please follow The greatest thing, Bruce, do I yeah. dare I say the greatest thing to happen to football since Boomer's fastest uh, three minutes? Well, I mean, they both use the, the, the number three. So That's exactly right. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate you guys plugging it. I'll, I'll, I'll feel you guys in on some stuff when we go uh, off the air a little bit later. Love that. Oh, oh, I'm ready. Let's, let's, let's go. So, Mark, so is, there, is there politics involved? Because it sounds like you're you're teasing like an underlying, like, is the man really controlling you behind? Is this is this more mainstream than we thought? No, it's not more mainstream than we thought. <laughs> let's put it that way. It's, it's If anything, it's wildly not more mainstream. Let's put it that way. Well, it should be. It should be more mainstream. So everybody follow Mark on Twitter. Mark, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody what you're working on, what else you've got going on so they can make sure they're plugged into your content. Well, I appreciate you guys, as always. Uh, truly, truly honored to be the first repeat guest. It, honestly, man, it does mean a lot. Um, on Twitter, on the Bird app, right? I can never – there it is, at Mark Schofield. Um, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, uh, Doug Ferrar and I, we did three things each team must do to win the games this week, and I did the AFC games, Doug did the NFC games. I got a piece up that I put up on Wentz yesterday about where it all went wrong for Carson Wentz, and we will be rolling through the games tomorrow once they kick off. I will be trying to write as this game unfolds, so you can check that out, uh, touchdownwireusatoday.com. Fantastic. Mark, thanks so much thanks, for being here, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great night. Enjoy it tomorrow. Yes, you as well. Good luck. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. And I meant that too. I actually meant good luck to him. Because to like him, him, absolutely, yeah, yes. To him, to, but but only to him. Only to right? him. That's it. That's Mark, it. Yeah. one of the best parts of football Twitter is yeah. Mark Schofield. So I, I mean that wholeheartedly. There are certain yeah. there are certain people who are part of the football community who have the ability to make us all a little bit smarter and not. And not done so in a condescending way or beating you over the head. They don't ever smack you over the face for not knowing something. You know, if right. you approach them in good faith, they'll do their best to try and help you. And I have said before that we live in an era that is smarter when it comes to football than any era we've ever lived in. And part of that reason is because of people like Mark on Twitter. So that's correct. That's probably as high of a compliment as I as I can provide. Now, 
for those of you who are in the comment section, this is really, really super important if you're on the comment section here on YouTube. We don't have any emails this week for mm -hmm. it. So horse, historically we do. So I need you to drop your questions in the comments section, come up with something good, whether that's food or football related. It can also be the third F, which is Frankfurters this particular week. <laughs> the third F of the day is Frankfurters. I feel like I'm in Sesame Street, but you do a little bit. Yeah. Go, I mean, yeah, I feel like I can fit in on Sesame Street. You know what I mean? Oh, you would be cream of the crop over there. It's, I mean, at Sesame Street. Yeah. Well, I guess the question is, Nate, can you tell me how to get how to get to Sesame Street? So go ahead and drop some questions in the comment section and we'll do our best to answer them. Reminder, we probably won't get to every single one, but we will get to as many as we possibly can and we will get to any super chats. So Nate, while we're waiting for that, how are you feeling about tomorrow's game? What is, what are your approach? Uh, Patton in the, in the, uh, in the comment section says, enjoy the game tomorrow, folks. I need this anxiety out of my life. Now, this is what mm. triggered me to ask this question because I feel like, anxious is a good word for a lot of bills fans. are you anxious at all no i don't it's weird for me it does maybe it's because my my body the schedule is sundays so maybe just because they're playing on a saturday and it hasn't quite hit with me i feel nothing bruce it's the weirdest thing there is no part of this maybe is because this is sort of a new norm, Bruce hosting a home playoff game on the wild card round after winning a division feels like a new normal for me. And I, you know, maybe that's taking it for granted, but what I'll say is I do not feel the same level of buildup anxiety. I felt more anxiety. Um, I felt more anxiety before the home opener to be, to be honest. I, and it's the, it's the Patriots for the third time. I don't know. I, there's really nothing about this game that's like, it's not even to say that I'm overconfident either, Bruce. I just, I feel nothing about it. It's hmm. get, get me to the AFC championship game, or in this case, the real AFC championship game, which is going to be a divisional round game against the Kansas city chiefs. Wow. Okay. Richard rush says, what are your game day meal plans for tomorrow? So I will tell you that tomorrow morning, my wife and I are driving down South to spend some time with a old friend of hers who hey. she doesn't get to see very often. So we're doing that tomorrow morning and we will be back in time for the game. The plan is pizza, local pizza. There's a local pizza place that we really enjoy sure. here. Um, and the plan is pizza. And the reason is because we're going to be gone all day. And we're not going to want to come back and immediately cook. Right, right. We also don't want to put something in the crock pot because that feel like I kind of feel subconsciously like I'm torturing my dogs. If I put something in the crock pot and then leave for the day and they have sure. to smell it all day sure. long and they come home and I'm like, congratulations, here's your dry food. Yeah. You know, they're like, thanks a lot. Jerk. Yeah, yeah right. Look what you did, you little thanks jerk. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Right. Thanks a lot. They don't even call you dad. No, they don't even call me dad. They call my first, my first, my full name, Bruce Aloysius like Nolan. Right, when just, you're when you're like just trying to completely disrespect your your parent, you just call them by their name, you know. Yeah, thanks a lot, Darla or Debbie or Ronald or whatever my parents' names are. But yeah, who even knows? Who even knows? Mister and Missus Nolan is the answer. So Nate, what is your what are your game day meal plans for tomorrow? While you're while you're looking at that, by the way, Tim says, "What's the update on Jalen oh. Mills? He's out. Jalen Mills is out." Nate, plans for tomorrow for food. Plans for tomorrow for food, uh, whatever is in the broadcast booth, I will be eating for food. So I, I will be at the game, um, doing pregame from there. I will be uh, sitting, hopefully, next to Tasker uh, and uh, and watching, uh, hopefully, with the window closed. That would be ideal. Hopefully. Um, but I do, listen, as, as someone that has called games from that stadium, it was high school. No, don't. Don't go crazy. Nothing. I didn't call a Bills game or anything, but I called some high school football games down there from Time Warner. And even in the winter time, it's really it's different because obviously it's not the same amount of people there. You can put the the parabolic mics underneath it and close it so that at least you can get the 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 sound of the stadium. Um, but it's just really not the same. And, and I'm sure Murph and, and Eric Wood, especially Eric, who's a former player, are probably going to want to have that up. Um, so I'm actually going to be texting after the show. Greg Harvey, who is our executive game day producer, and I'm going to be, ask him straight up, do I need to bring extreme winter, winter gear? And if I do, 
I'm not going to be happy. Like, I'm not going to be happy at all, Bruce. I, I, because here's the thing. I don't think they – so normally our, our, our game day meals in the broadcast booth before COVID was a little bit more robust. It was like the, the standard buffet, which, by the way, this is a podcast subject in the future. I think COVID has probably extinct or, or killed um, – it's completely killed, at least for the interim anyways, uh, buffets. Buffets may be gone forever, which is a really tough thing for uh for covid but all in all we are sort of given these like pre-made lunches bag of chips giant cookie and a turkey sandwich on like whole wheat bread so i am not going to be eating anything remotely fun at all um for the bills game so my, my my game day menu is quite limited um but i will likely uh scurry my way out to the concourse to get like a hot pretzel or something um, at the half, because I'm 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 a bit of a I'm a bit of a hot pretzel buff myself. But um, yeah, it appears, by the way, uh, that Bruce's screen is frozen, um, and this is simply the FBI. Everyone uh, really getting back at Bruce for not showing enough skin uh, as 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 he promised. So this is just the FBI getting back to us. But I think for now, since we're at the end of the show, anyways. I'm going to pull us in the direction of doing biggest winners and biggest losers because that is tradition and that is what we've got to at this point in the show anyways. So I'm going to start with my biggest winner from this week, which, of course, is Derek Carr and the Raiders. And listen, the big reason I've got to name Derek Carr, you can name probably a lot of winners from a weekend that that saw a bunch of teams, particularly the Cincinnati Chiefs, a team that the uh, that the that the Baltimore that that the Las Vegas Raiders will be facing off against tomorrow before the Bills game. Which, by the way, no one's even talking about that game. Bruce and I were we're about to talk about maybe the the losers really being fans of the Raiders and the Bengals because no one's talking about that game. Everyone's just talking about Bills Patriots, um, the 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 third round of that matchup, and rightfully so. It's a it's going to be a fantastic matchup. It's definitely the, probably the best matchup of the week. Um, AFC or NFC wise, I, I know some people like um, like the the Arizona matchup against Los Angeles on Monday night. We'll see how that one plays out. But for me, good for Derek Carr. I'm not a huge Derek Carr fan, but Derek Carr and that Raiders team is not a playoff team. I mean, let, let, let's just be real with you. They're not a playoff team. So them finding ways, I think I think I saw they had four overtime games this year, which is just absurd. Um, so finding a way to, to make it to the playoffs in the first place, um, despite the Gruden drama, despite the Henry Ruggs situation, despite the, um, you know, the other rookie cornerback who was flashing guns on Snapchat for whatever reason. Um, Good for the good for the Raiders. I'm not a huge Raiders supporter, but they've got some really good pieces that they found on accident. Max Crosby is one of the best young defensive ends in all the league. The only player in the NFL with 100 uh, with with triple digit uh, pressures this season. So the Raiders, to me, are the biggest winners for making the playoffs, despite I mean, just a tumultuous season. And and frankly, Derek Carr making his playoff debut. And uh, I I think that's something to be proud of if you're Derek Carr and you're the Raiders. So for me, biggest winner, Derek Carr, the Raiders. Biggest loser for me, Mark Schofield mentioned it. He's got a piece up on it on, uh, on I think he said USA Today Touchdown Wire. But for me, biggest loser, Carson Wentz in Indianapolis. How, listen, I know glass house, pot meat cuddle, say whatever you want. I know the Bills lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars, but they did not do it in a win and in scenario where a loss literally eliminates you from the playoffs in a season where people were talking about the Indianapolis Colts as like a Super Bowl contender. And then all of a sudden, flip goes a switch. They got pounded by the Jacksonville Jaguars. At least the Bills lost in an honorable 9-6 to fashion where nobody won. Truly, they were dominated by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it really started and finished with the quarterback play of Carson Wentz, who the Indianapolis Colts, the reason they're part of this, and they're also the biggest loser, is this. They gave up a first-round pick for Carson Wentz. I, I mean, they're going to likely be – now, they don't have to be stuck with Carson Wentz. They can get rid of him next year with no dead cap penalty against the salary cap because they traded for him. But, listen, you gave up a first-round pick for Carson Wentz. That's going to sting regardless of the dead cap implications of cutting him this offseason will be. And, and, and I think they probably will. I think they probably should. So, for me, the biggest loser has got to be the Indianapolis Colts. 
and Carson Wentz. Bruce, you got back in here, and I said, by the way, I told people the reason that you were bounced out of this in the first place was because the FBI was upset that you did not show enough skin in that picture that you sent when you promised people you'd, you'd show them some elbow. Well, I mean, all I did was promise an elbow. That's it. That's all I. That's all but I promised. The I promise FBI anything prefers a little bit of forearm, and the FBI got none of it. Well, I, I didn't know that. Okay, we, we're not really on speaking terms right now, Nate. That's, that's, just... that's a good point. All right, so here's what you missed. Okay, uh, I talked a little bit about winners and losers, and my winner this week was Derek Carr of the Raiders. First time in Derek Carr's career as a veteran, as a guy that people consider a top 12, top 15 quarterback, finally makes it into the playoffs and a team that really probably shouldn't have made the playoffs. That's my biggest winner, Bruce. My biggest loser is Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts. I say I don't need to set up the reason why they're my losers this week. So why don't you give us your, your winners and losers? Well, my biggest loser was obviously going to be the same. It was going to be Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure that there's, a, there's really a, a strong argument for anybody else, especially because... Uh -huh. This was a team who started off in a bad way and they started to find their form. And really this year for the Indianapolis Colts was all about not getting stuck in purgatory. That's really what it was. And the Indianapolis Colts literally fell directly into quarterback purgatory. They just missed the playoffs and now they don't have the draft pick that they wanted to have because they owe it to Philadelphia. So uh -huh. now they find themselves in literally the worst possible situation which is we don't think Carson's the guy, but we lost the asset we could have used to pick a guy if he wasn't the guy. And so I, I don't think there can be a bigger, bigger loser this week than Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts. As far as winners go, um, I think Derek Carr's a great one. I'm going to go with mm -hmm. Joe Burrow. I'm going to go with Joe okay, Burrow. Okay, sure, sure. And, and more importantly, I'm going to go with Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor is the biggest winner because – I think a lot of people just kind of assumed in the middle of year two for Zach Taylor that when they brought him back for year three, that was going to be it. And Zach Taylor, given how cheap the Cincinnati Bengals ownership is, he just bought himself a lot of time with this playoff appearance. Yes, he did. And Joe Burrow's ascent, I guess, to top five stud in the NFL has really bought him a lot of time. I think a lot of people when Zach Taylor got hired, dismissed it as, well, this guy one time did Sean McVay's laundry. Like he, <laughs> he did dry cleaning for Sean McVay at one point, and I'm pretty sure that he gave Sean McVay's girlfriend tennis lessons. So let's hire him because he is somewhat adjacent to Sean McVay. Well, now Zach Taylor has the endorsement of the Cincinnati Bengals, and he's a playoff coach. Uh -huh. and when you have a playoff coach and a quarterback who's better than Andy Dalton, that gives you hope that this isn't Marvin Lewis again. Because for a while, Cincinnati right. Bengals could make the playoffs. They just couldn't win a game in the playoffs. But was it Marvin Lewis or was it Andy Dalton? And when you have a quarterback now who's markedly better than Andy Dalton and you have a coach who can help get you to the playoffs, Zach Taylor has done a lot to quiet the critics. I was one of them, mind you. At the beginning of this year, right. I was like, wow, it's going to be a lot of fun seeing Joe Burrow with a different coach next year. And boop, I was wrong. So for me, Joe Burrow is a winner, but big, big time Zach Taylor's a winner. That's probably right. And good for the Bengals. I, listen, I think the game, and, and we did say this, and, and I did mention this, that uh, prior to this, we were talking about maybe using the uh, co collectively agreeing the biggest loser um, really are the fans of the Raiders and the Bengals because no one's really talking about that game because the Bills primetime game against the Patriots, everyone's talking about round three and, 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 and are the Patriots capable of beating the Bills in Buffalo again? Is this a cold weather thing? Can Josh Allen compete? Can, can, can he perform in the cold? So I think I feel bad to a certain extent because it's a four o'clock game. I'm really not going to be able to watch much of it because I'm going to be on air the whole time. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that game plays out. I, I'm, I'm wondering to end this, Bruce, who do you like in that first matchup? It's the Bengals, right? Like you like the Bengals, but I, I would not I like dismiss the, Bruce. I like the Bengals. I like the Bengals by a lot, actually. I, I would not dismiss this, Bruce. I would not dismiss the quality of of uh, of loss. I keep saying I want to say Baltimore. I don't know why. The quality of the Raiders' pass rush, particularly of, of Yannick and Dockwe, and and on the other um, on the other Crosby, side, obviously yeah. Max Crosby. Um, and the guy that they lost in the middle, um, I, I, their defensive tackle, I, he went off. I get carted off in the middle of the game, and his name's escaping me. He was having a monster day before he got carted off. But 
that's a defense that has found its way, frankly. I, I mean, they're getting way more out of that defense than I think a lot. I mean, I certainly was not going to think that that team, um, when they lost, um, you know, Damon Arnett, and they just really have not had any answers at the cornerback position. And, and, and they've had a lot of probably bad play at the linebacker position. Jonathan Abrams out for the season. So I think all in all, you can't underestimate that Cincinnati does not have a good offensive line. It's not as bad as it was last year, but it's not good. And that's the strength of this uh, of this Los Angeles team or Los Angeles. God, I can't figure out the Raiders where they're from. So I'm just going to continue to say the Raiders. Just the but Raiders. Just Raiders. That's it. I, so at the end of the day here, Bruce, where, where I guess where I'm trying to get to is this defense probably shouldn't be slept on, particularly at the strength and weakness of the strength of the defense and the weakness of the offense being the same here. That's something I, I might really pay attention to. And and I wouldn't be surprised if if that offense and Joe Burrow doesn't look as maybe good as it's looked over the last couple of weeks because different different territory here. The playoffs are different, and it's not going to be great weather either. Well, I know better than to ask you for a bet on the Bengals-Raiders because the last couple of bets you've made with me haven't actually gone your way. So probably don't want to do that. But you know what? We'll we'll, we'll do something fun. When the, when, when, when the lobster is done and that has been consummated, the lobster bet has been consummated, then we'll come up with another good one. We'll do it. I like that. I like that. I think I think we've earned that, haven't we? I think so. I think so. And our lovely viewers have earned yes. this. Thank you for spending Friday night with us, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being a part of this. We had a wonderful crowd today, wonderful group of people. We have enjoyed serving you this evening. We and have. for those of you who showed up, I hope you had a fun time. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you were able to kick your shoes off. You know, this is a casual, this is casual dining here at Food for Thought. This is casual this dining. Is cash. It's it's cash fast. Dining. It's fast casual, man. That's that's the way we will, right? Although it takes an hour, so I guess it's not really fast casual. It's it's high class casual. I don't know. It's like what kind of restaurant are we, Nate? Here at Food for Thought, are we? Uh, are we like a? Are we like a Bennigan's? <laughs> Nate, a Bennigan's. Are we a Bennigan's? No, 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 what, what's the? What's your? What's your restaurant? What Bennigan's? No, no, no. What? what what's the one? What's the one? Come on! I don't, I don't know. I it's, don't the, know. it's the inside joke. Come on, uh, the the one that that you're that that Miss Nolan diner. Makes the, 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 the one diner. that Miss Nolan, your favorite meal that Miss Nolan's recreated from this. Made oh, Buca de Beppo! Buca de Beppo! Buca de Beppo! We are a Buca de Beppo. We that's what we are. We're Buca de Beppo, but Buca de Beppo family size, right? Buca de Beppo, right oh, here. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan's got it. You know, you know what I love? This is what I love. I, I love the fact that we have fans who are tweeting at me going, I don't know, Bruce, sounds like a tall glass of water. I love it so much. I love the fact that we have this strange, quirky little community who kicks off our shoes, has a couple beers on a Friday night listening to us and have all these weird inside jokes with each other when everyone's like, I don't know, really get it. What, what are they talking about? No Why are they talking about weird. tall glasses of water and Buca de Bebo right now? What is happening? <laughs> I just love it. And as I said before, I love the fact that this is literally nothing like my other show. If you were to listen to this show and then go listen to the Bruce exclusive, you'd be like, you'd be like what is happening? Is that the same guy? <laughs> like, what is going on here? So thank you so much for being a part of it. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We hope you had a, a delicious meal. And we hope you didn't leave hungry.